Good morning, everyone. Good morning. My name is Obed, and I'm one of the leaders here um, at King's Cross Church. And if you are new, thank you for um, coming and spending time with us this morning. As a church, we are all about um, being on mission. We are a church family on mission with Jesus, and that is what um, we are here for. We're not here for ourselves. We're not here for any other purpose, um, but to be on mission with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And so if you're new, welcome. Um, later, we'll have announcements for you on how you can get more involved in our church. But as a church, one of the ways that we exalt Christ is by the preaching of the word. Um, and how we preach the word is take um, a book at a time, and then within that book, we go chapter by chapter, verse by verse. Um, and that is how we exalt Christ. We look at scripture and we seek to understand what it's about and how it applies to our lives. And so we are currently in the um, letter Paul wrote to the church in Philippi, the book of Philippians. And so if you have um, your Bible, whether a physical copy, which I prefer, or a digital copy, which one, most of you prefer, um, it doesn't matter. Um, turn to the book of Philippians, and we are in chapter 1 this week, and we're going to be reading from hmm, verse 18 to 26, verse 18 to 26. Yeah, Philippians chapter 1, verse 18 to 26. Lovely. And if you've got your journal as well. We gave out these cool journals. They're like artsy journals. Um, and you can kind of like read and study and make notes, all of that. Yeah? Brilliant. All right, let's read. I'm going to lead us in reading. And in, um, and in our effort to honor God's word, may you please stand for the reading of his word. Philippians chapter 1, verses 18 to 26 reads, but what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. Yes, and I will continue to rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I'm to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. I'm torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better by far, but it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith so that through my being with you again, your boasting in Christ Jesus will abound on account of me. This is the reading of God's word. Let's pray. God, thank you for ma making many of us in this room aware of your existence. 
God, by your grace, through faith in Jesus Christ, and by the power of your Holy Spirit, many of us in this room believe you exist and have experienced your power in our lives. And so, God, this morning, this gathering, we so desire to encounter you. And so we pray that you would give us ears to hear. We pray that you would give us eyes to see. We pray that you would give us hearts that are willing to obey whatever you call us to. God, may we not waste this moment. May you remove all distractions and all obstacles or, and anything in our lives that would get in the way of you speaking to us and us hearing you. And so God, this morning, leave us speechless. Leave us in awe of your glory as we seek to exalt your son, Jesus Christ. And in his name we pray, amen. You may be seated. As some of you may know, if you don't know, I'm about to tell you this important information about me. Relax, it's nothing weird. I have three kids, and I have three incredibly cute, beautiful, sometimes annoying kids. <laughs> they are a joy to be around. And one of the reasons why I say that is because um, when I became a father, um, this season of my life helped me understand more of what my relationship with God is like. Let me give you an example. My youngest is Eden. She is cute as a button. She is so cute, if you've met her. Um, she is smart. She is troublesome at times, um, but she is such a joy to be around. And one of the things about Eden is because she's the youngest, most of the time, whenever um, I am leaving with all three of my kids, she's always the last one, all right? She's got, you know, she's just smaller and she takes more, to, you know, longer to get ready. And every time she's the last one, and so picture it, I'm taking them to school. My two um, other kids are in the car. We're all waiting for Eden, and I can hear Eden screaming from her bedroom as she gets ready to leave. Dad, don't leave me. This has happened on multiple occasions, and every time she says that, I say to her, Eden, I will never leave you. I will never leave you. Dad, don't leave me. Eden, I will never leave you. When she gets in the car, I'm like a broken record. I say to her, Eden, I love you, and I'll never leave you behind. But she still struggles 
to believe me. She still doubts that I will not leave her. As I said earlier, my relationship with my kids helps me understand how I relate to God. And ever since I became a Christian, I have had many moments of doubt. I have struggled to trust God and given into doubt. I've questioned God's love for me. I've been uncertain about my future and my relationship with God. Um, will I make it to heaven? Whatever heaven is like, right? Um, will I remain faithful until the end? Will I, um, as a Christian, represent Christ and continue to voice my allegiance to him even when I suffer because of him? And so this morning, in a room of this size, if you are wrestling with some of these things, if you are questioning God's love and commitment and faithfulness to you, I think, right, and I believe our passage, right, this morning will encourage you. It will help you deal with all of these doubts and insecurities and uncertainties you have by reminding you of these truths, okay? Number one, it will remind you that, this, it'll remind you that your, your future is secure, of the security of your future salvation. This passage this morning will remind you of the hope of living for Christ. And lastly, this passage will remind you of the certainty that death is better than life. Are you ready to get into our study this morning? You don't have no choice. Of course you are. Let's get right into it. First, right, we are reminded that of the security of future salvation. In other words, we're reminded that our, 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 um, we, our future is secure, okay? So the Apostle Paul, right, who is one of the most influential and successful Christian leaders of all time, wrote this letter um, to a church he helped start in the ancient city of Philippi. Um, he wrote this letter while he was under house arrest in Rome, waiting for his trial before Caesar. And despite his troubling circumstances and uncertainty about his future, he begins the letter with the utmost praise for the Philippians, right? He begins this letter by thanking God, right? He says to them in verse 3 and 4, Look, I thank my God every time I remember you. In all of my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy. Philippians is a letter bursting with joy. It really is. And so while in prison, um, Paul was not only thankful for the Philippians, but he, was also, he also rejoiced in the fact that even in prison, the gospel advanced. And this was because um, his imprisonment gave him um, countless opportunities to witness, to share the gospel with the palace guards. Also, because of his imprisonment, Followers of Jesus Christ in Rome became more motivated than ever to share the gospel. On the surface, everything seemed to be going well, but a closer look uncovered that all was not well. Two groups of people went around sharing the gospel, but they each were motivated by different things. Some were sharing the gospel for 
good reasons and some were sharing the gospel for bad reasons. Verse 15, 16, and 17 um, lets us know that some, some were, the ones that were sharing the gospel for wrong reasons were doing it out of envy, competitiveness, goodwill, and a desire to um, make matters worse for Paul. And so how does Paul respond? The gospel's being preached. Some are doing it for right reasons. Some are doing it for wrong reasons. And those who are doing it for the wrong reasons are doing it in order to make life miserable for Paul. And so how does Paul respond? Verse 18 of chapter 1 says, But what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is being preached. And because of this, I rejoice. That's unbelievable, isn't it? And we covered this last time, like two weeks ago, that even though some were sharing the gospel for wrong reasons, Paul's like, I don't care. The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached, and because of this, I rejoice. Paul didn't just rejoice because of the spread of the gospel. But he also rejoiced in something else. Look at the last part of verse 18 and 19. It says, Yes, and I will continue to rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. Here, Paul rejoices in the fact that because of the prayers of the church in Philippi and because of the spirit of Jesus Christ, his time in prison under house arrest will turn out for what? His deliverance. As the Christians in Philippi, you can imagine it, read this letter and got to this part, I reckon they would have been thrilled to hear that through their prayers and the Holy Spirit, Paul was confident that he would be delivered, that is, that he would be freed from prison and that they would see him again. But as they kept on reading the letter and really zeroed in on the word delivered and considered the meaning of the word delivered, they soon realized that Paul was not talking about being delivered from prison, but he was confident he would be delivered from something else. What is it? If he's not talking about deliverance from jail, what is Paul confident he'll be delivered from? Let's get into some Greek to understand this better, yeah? The Greek word behind the English word deliverance is sotoria. All right? This word is often translated salvation and at times, vindication. As most of you know, in the Bible, the word salvation and the verb to be saved often refers to the time when an individual is saved. 
as in when someone becomes a Christian, they are saved, all right? When you talk about the time, your past history, when God saved you, you always look at it from the past, past tense. I got saved. Sometimes, soteria refers to salvation in the past, but other times, soteria can also refer to salvation that takes place in the future, especially when it's applied to a Christian. Okay? And the reason I say that is Paul is saying, all of what's happening to me will turn out for my deliverance. All right? Soteria, salvation. Okay? And it doesn't make sense that Paul is talking about like salvation in the past because he's already a Christian. And so what is he talking about? What is this kind of salvation, this future salvation? What is Paul talking about? And like I said, it's future salvation. And so this is, a, this is what's going on. Even though Paul does express his belief that he will be delivered from prison, right? We're going to look at that in verses 25, verse 26. Here, in verse 19, he's most likely referring to a different kind of deliverance. It's the deliverance I like to call future salvation. And so what's this future salvation all about? Okay? It refers to the final deliverance of Christians or believers at the last judgment when they stand vindicated before God. It's when Jesus returns to judge the world and deliver his people from all the troubles of this world. Are you guys with me? Yeah, you're with me. All right, Frank Thielman, who's a theologian, breaks it down like this. He just summarizes this. He goes, even Paul's death can result in his deliverance because the deliverance of which he speaks is unrelated to physical release from the chains that bind him. It instead is, um, it is instead his eschatological um, salvation. And so it's talking about future salvation, future deliverance for Christians. Perseverance of the saints is a term familiar to some of you. But for some of you, you are like, what? <laughs> like, perseverance of the what? I've never heard of it. Well, let me help you understand what it means. So, perseverance of the saints is a term used by theologians to describe what Paul is talking about here in verse 19 and elsewhere and in his other letters. It's the biblical truth that through the Holy Spirit, all right, no, sorry, God through his Holy Spirit keeps or preserves the believer forever. Put simply, Perseverance of the saints means that by God's grace, through Christians, um, true Christians, sorry, cannot lose their salvation, but will remain saved until the end. In other words, the Christian is eternally secure because God is eternally faithful. R.C. Sproul says this. He articulates this really well, so I'm going to quote him. All right? He says this. My confidence in my preservation is not in my ability to persevere. 
My confidence rests in the power of Christ to sustain me with his grace. It's his confidence that he is going to bring us safely through. Here's, here's the, this is, I love this part. He goes, we are secure not because we hold tightly to Jesus, but because he holds tightly to us. Yes, say amen to that. Seriously. We are secure not because we hold tightly to Jesus, but because he holds tightly to us. Do you believe this? I know for sure you have, time, you have had times in your life where you have struggled to believe this. And so, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you should have this same confidence. You should be confident that God, through his spirit, will sustain you until the end. You should, have, um, you should be confident that you're secure in God's love and faithfulness and that God will continue to be faithful to you and that nothing in this world can separate you from his love and his commitment to you. You should have confidence that you have not been left to secure your own future because God in his grace has secured an end to your story more glorious than you can grasp. You should have all the confidence in the world, Christian, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. That's the confidence we have. We have confidence in future salvation, in the fact that God that will secure us from now on until the very end. And isn't that encouraging? And so, in this passage, we're reminded that of the security of our future salvation. Next, in this passage, we're also reminded of the hope of living for Christ. Look at verse 20. It says, I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. Stop right there. We usually use the word hope, okay, to mean something that we would like to happen but can't be sure of the outcome, okay? Um, I hope the sun comes out tomorrow, all right? Um, I hope I get the promotion. I hope I graduate. I hope my spouse makes it back safely from deployment. I hope I can pay the bills this month. We usually use the word hope to mean something that we would like to happen but can't be sure of the outcome. But biblical hope is different. The kind of hope Paul is talking about here is different to hope as we know it. It's hope without uncertainties. It's hope that is fully confident and certain of the outcome. And so what is it for Paul? What is he certain will happen in his life? All right, let's read verse 20 again. All right, it's, he says, I eagerly expect and hope, right, this hope, I am certain, I am confident that I will in no way be ashamed 
but will have sufficient courage so that now as always Christ will be exalted in my body whether by life or by death. Let me just remind you of the scenario here of what's happened here. Let me remind you that as Paul writes this letter, he is in prison. He is under house arrest and he is waiting to stand trial before Caesar Nero. And at that time, Caesar Nero was one of the most powerful and feared emperors. And Paul's trial before Caesar was like any other trial. He's not sure of the outcome. He's not sure whether Caesar will pardon him or Caesar will call for his persecution, right? Paul, sorry, for his execution. Paul has no idea what's going to happen to him as far as his trial is concerned. But in the midst of these uncertainties, one thing Paul knows for sure is that by God's grace, he will not be ashamed. But he will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in his body, whether by life or by death. Whether Caesar pardons him or executes him, he is confident Jesus the King will be exalted, will be honored, and will be magnified in his life. Charles Ellicott, a distinguished English Christian theologian, academic, and churchman from the 1800s, translated Paul's words this way. I am certain that my body will be the theater in which Christ's glory is displayed. Can this be said of you? Is your life a theater in which Jesus Christ is displayed. If I was to ask the people closest to you, friends, family, co-workers, right, to describe you using three words, would Jesus Christ make the list? Is your life a reflection of the life of Jesus Christ? And again, let's not forget that Paul was in prison when he wrote these words. He may be, and like, just think about it, he may be in good spirits as he writes and he's encouraged by the Philippians. But let's not think Paul is this superhuman. Okay, he is human. And the situation he's in is challenging. He has gone through a lot. All right? He's been beaten and thrown in jail several times. He's been um, um, flogged. He's gone through a lot. And now he's in prison. And yes, he might be encouraged and upbeat. But let's not forget that I'm sure there were times when this imprisonment was super challenging for him. And so that's what's happening with Paul. He is suffering. He is experiencing a difficult and challenging time in his life. And so, Christian, just like Paul, you will end up in difficult seasons of life. You really will. And I'm sure in a room of this size, some of you are in the midst of a really challenging and difficult season of your life. 
So let me remind you that no matter what trial or hardship you're currently facing or will face, may you have faith to believe that you will not be ashamed, but you will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in your body, whether by life or by death. Even in the midst of tragedy, may your life be a theater through which Christ is glorified. Even in the midst of hardship, your life, by God's grace, will be a theater in which Jesus Christ is glorified. It will. And so we've looked at the um, confidence of um, future salvation, the hope of living for Christ. Next, we need to be reminded from this, parish, from this passage of the certainty that death is better than life. The certainty that death is better than life. Look at verse 21. All right, can we all read it together? Yeah, verse 21. Ready? One, two, go. As most of you know, we could have all closed our eyes and recited this. This is one of the most known, most loved, most memorable um, sentences in all of the Bible. The first part, and this makes sense, that this is one of the most popular verses in the entire Bible. It basically summarizes the meaning of life and the glory of death for Christians. The first part of the verse, to live is Christ, is a brief summary of what Paul's been talking about. Namely, he's not certain of his future here on earth, but he's completely certain that as long as he lives, his life will be for Christ. Jesus' life will be lived through his life, right? So he's been talking about what it means for him to live for Christ. However, the second part of the verse, to die is gain, introduces a new topic that I think is hugely challenging for Christians, like if you think about it, okay? Paul is like, look, the outcome of my time in prison is uncertain, but no matter what happens, I'm, I'm certain my life will be for Christ. I'm certain that my life, Jesus will be exalted um, in and through my life, but I would rather die than live because to die is gain. To die is better. So Paul is saying living means living for Christ and as fulfilling as that is, it pales in comparison to dying because to die is far better than to live. You guys all right? Yeah? It's good. Why is death gain? Why is Paul convinced that death is better than life? In the following verses, 22 and 23, Paul explains why he's convinced that to die is gain. Look at 22 and 23. He says, If I'm to go on living in a body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. I'm torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, 
which is better by far. All right, the Greek word behind the English word desire in verse 23 is epithomia. It's vivid, emotive language in Greek that means to long for and ache for something. You guys know what that is like, to long for or ache for something. And so Paul has a strong and longing desire to die. And the interesting thing about this is that his overwhelming desire he has for death is something many people have and continue to experience. It was the 1990s, and I was around 13 years old. I was a typical high school student, face covered in acne. I was obsessed with soccer, music, and girls. My school was about a 20-minute walk. Um, my school was about a 20-minute walk from my house, and so most mornings I would walk to school with my friends. On our way to school, we would have heated debates about the latest soccer news. We would have heated debates about um, who's more um, handsome. Um, we would have heated debates, and we would share lyrics of rap songs. I was a rapper, and I wanted to be a rapper. So, so as we walked to school, we would share our rap songs with each other. We would talk a lot about the girls we liked and how we were going to ask them out. Our route to school was on a main street, and so every morning, cars would whiz by or be stuck in rush hour traffic. One morning, on our walk to school, we witnessed an accident involving a car and a motorbike. I don't remember exactly what happened, but I do remember slowly making, with my friends, we slowly made our way to the scene of the accident. And when we got there, we heard the man who was on the bike and now on the floor, bleeding and in pain, screaming, I want to die. I want to die. Somebody kill me. Understandably, he wanted to die in order to escape the excruciating pain of the injuries he had incurred from a severe accident. People want to die for all sorts of reasons. Like this man, people want to die because of intense physical pain caused by some sort of injury or health issue. Other people want to die because of the unbearable emotional pain caused by the death of a loved one. Others want to die because they're sick and tired of this broken, corrupt world that is full of injustice and corruption. People want to die for all sorts of reasons, but most of the time, people want to die in order to escape the pains of life. And that makes sense. But what's interesting is that Paul's desire to die had nothing to do with escaping the struggles of this world. You've got to remember, he's in prison, right? He's upbeat, he's encouraging, but he's going through a tough time, and he's been through a lot. 
But the interesting thing is, if we look at the verse closely, um, that is verse 23, his desire is not to escape the struggles of prison, but his desire to die was motivated by a desire to be with Jesus. That's different. To, hey, like, I want to die because prison sucks. I don't know what's going to happen to me when I'm tried, and I just want to escape. No, his desire to die was motivated by a desire to be with Christ. Because he knew to be with Christ is to be freed from the presence and power of sin. He was aware of the fact that to be with Christ is to be in a place where there's no more death or grief or pain or injustice. But according to Paul, the most satisfying thing to him um, about being with Jesus wasn't an escape from this world, but it was simply to be with his Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Being with Jesus means we'll not have to experience suffering and sin, and that's awesome, but most of all, being with Jesus will be satisfying because we'll be with Jesus. We'll see the risen Jesus face to face. We will be in his presence, and our relationship and our communion with him will be so deep, it's hard for us to imagine. Tony Merida, who's a pastor, says this. Paul isn't saying that he wants to escape from life. He knows that his life, even in suffering, is filled with joy and fruitful labor. It's not escape that he's emphasizing. It's eternal enjoyment. Paul says that in death, there's more of what satisfies him now. The now is amazing because it's about serving Jesus, which brings meaning and joy. But he knows that the later is better because it involves face-to-face -face communion with Jesus Christ. And so if you're here and you're a Christian and you're like, I'm saved. I'm a follower of Jesus. Jesus is my Lord and Savior. Your death will not be the end of you. When you die, you will enter into God's presence and unite with Christ and you will commune with Jesus Christ without any limitations. How I kind of describe it is the difference between dating and marriage, okay? When I was dating Eleanor, okay, yeah, we did have um, times when we could um, chat and interact with each other, um, but what was frustrating about it is every time we spent time and went on a date together, we knew that we would have to leave and go to our separate homes. And so I longed to be married because I knew that we would go on a date and be able to go home together. That's different. Let me modernize it or digitize it a bit more. Remember COVID? <laughs> oh, you, you still remember COVID? 
Remember COVID when it was at its peak and the whole world went into lockdown and every one or most of your interactions had to be done digitally through Zoom or Skype or FaceTime. It was great to begin with. Oh, I don't need to get up early and go to church or go to work or have meetings. I can just log in and here I am face to face with whoever I need to talk to. That was awesome for a while, but then we started longing to be with people in person. And so, in a similar way, to be with Jesus, right? Right now, we, we can, we have a relationship with Jesus. We can commune with Jesus, but it's different. It's kind of like the digital version. But one day, through our death, we will see Jesus face to face. We will be in person with Jesus, uninterrupted, and it's going to be awesome. That's why to die and be with Christ isn't just better, but better by far. And until then, Christian, may your life be a life that you allow Jesus to live through. And may your life impact people in a way um, that brings about joy and that brings or causes them to boast in Christ Jesus. And so King's Cross Church, who or what are you living for? In your short life, what will you live for? Who, what will you die for? May this truth that we've explored this morning, may it encourage you if you're doubting. May it remind you that God saved you and he will sustain your salvation until the end. May you be reminded that no matter what you go through, God has, will faithfully allow Christ to be exalted and honored in your life. And may you not fear death, because death is way better than this life. Why? Because you get to be and experience Jesus to the fullest. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for this time. Thank you for everything you've done. You are so good to us. Thank you for these reminders. I pray that as I've been encouraged, may everyone here be encouraged and strengthened. We all have doubts. We all have insecurities when it comes to our relationship with you. But as we have briefly explored this passage, and we're going to be doing so um, throughout the week in our community groups and in our own time of solitude, may you show us more. May you show us what it means to live for Christ. And may we become increasingly excited to be with Christ. In his name we pray. Amen.